0: everyone and welcome to the latest episode of fish bites the miami heralds miami marlins podcast i'm jordan mcpherson joined once again by good old buddy andre fernandez dre how have you
1: been man good man you know I enjoyed the super bowl despite it being a blowout <laughs> and uh but you know witnessing some history of i'm still i don't know if i i've run as much in my life as much as patrick mahomes did on sunday but but i'm doing okay other than that i mean unfortunately though Right around, I think it was like four minutes left in the game. Yeah, we we got we got hit. By, it was a gut punch with a, a you know some news that came out, which we're going to talk about now.
0: Yeah, no, the baseball world got hit a heavy hand. The uh, late Sunday, uh, Pedro Gomez, longtime baseball correspondent for ESPN, full of ties with Miami, covered more than twenty-five World Series, just all around great guy, died unexpectedly Sunday night. He was fifty-eight years old. Uh, family hasn't released the cause of death yet, but he mm-hmm. did pass away in his home in Arizona. Uh, again, his Miami ties, he went to Coral Park High, Miami Day College, UM. He spent a couple years at the Herald in, from 94 to 95 before mm-hmm. becoming nationally known. I unfortunately did not have the honor in my short time covering baseball yet to personally get to meet Pedro, but just from what I've heard from everybody else in baseball and just from watching him from afar, you just knew how loved he was and how respected and well-known that he was. And Andre, I know you can speak a little bit more. You can speak better on this than I can.
1: Yeah. The funny thing with that was that I always, I felt like I knew Pedro, even though I didn't know Pedro before I met him. And that's because, you know, some really good friends and, and, and former colleagues of mine at the Herald knew him really well, pretty much, you know, you could say journalistically grew up with him and became really close friends with him. And that's, uh, my good friend Walter Villa and Armando Salguero, who tweeted a very nice tweet today about Pedro and Santos Perez, our you know our, our boxing writer that's uh, still freelancers for the Herald. They 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 go way back. They go back to like the Miami News days, which people might not even remember the Miami News too much, but you know. And and Pedro always they always had stories about him. They used to call him Tex, and I guess that was like a nickname he had back then or whatever. And and you know, really fun fun stuff. Good guy a lot of the stuff you've seen come out over the last, you know, almost 24 hours about just his life and what a good person he was. And then I got to meet him, which I felt lucky to do that, you know, at Marlins park. And again, me, you know, just kind of just, you know, starting out as Clark Spencer's backup, real, you know, treated me like if it was anybody else, real down to earth, real helpful. Like, you know, he told me like anything you need, you know, here you go. Like, let me know what this type of thing. And we, we hit it off immediately. And then I was like, okay now I see why he's such good friends with these guys, why I consider close friends too. And again, it was just a reflection of the person he was. I saw him again a couple of times, you know, like covering all-star games, you know, how it is. like we cross you cross paths with, with national media all the time at the big events and stuff like that. But again, always, you know, very warm, very kind person to always took a minute to, to at least, you know, talk to you, even if it was busy and that sort of thing. And, again, like I called it a minute ago, it's just a gut punch because it's one of those things where I, I, I looked at the tweet and I was like, you know, I can't believe this. And and from, you know, I, I couldn't even focus really on the rest of the game. I mean, it was like the game only had like a few minutes left, but it was like, I was glad the game was over because I just, I was out of it from that point on. Like I couldn't, you know, it was all I could think about pretty much for the rest for like a couple hours after that, because you, you're shocked by the fact that someone like that here today and 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 gone tomorrow like that and it and it, it it really hits you it really I mean 58 we shouldn't be losing a guy like Pedro especially someone that like you know you think a minute ago he looked like it was it, it seemed like he probably was just fine and then this happens it's just it's devastating it really is and it's devastating to the to to the sport to the, the writing community I'm not even just gonna only baseball just the sports writing community in general
0: yeah definitely I mean Condol- our condolences go out to his family, his wife, his kids, and to the entire baseball world as we, we mourn, mourn life. And again, his memory is not going to be forgotten. He is going to be remembered for a long, 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 long time.
1: Definitely.
0: And on that note, we're going to switch back into actual baseball news. We have spring training scheduled to start in just over a week. I mean, MLB wanted to push things back a month. The MLB Players Association basically said, no, we want to stick with everything we're doing. We're already ramped up. We're already starting to get ready for when pitchers and catchers report on the 17th. And uh, news came out a little bit uh, late Monday morning that at least for the Grapefruit League, the 15 teams in the state of Florida, they're going to be going to... Sort of a pod-like environment for spring training. Yeah. Essentially, the fourteen or the five teams that are on the east coast of the state—the Marlins and the Cardinals in Jupiter, the Nationals and the Astros in West Palm Beach, and the Mets in Port St. Lucie—that's all. Those five are just going to be playing each other during spring training. It's Looking like, according to Ken Rosenthal at the Athletic, it's going to be those five teams will play a combined will play twenty-four games against each other, which would break yeah. down to six games apiece. And it makes sense. I mean. The COVID-19 still hasn't gone away, it's probably not going to go away for a while, even with all the vaccinations coming up, so to minimize travel as much as you can, and still have spring training as close to the real thing as possible, that feels like probably the best compromise and as much of a win-win situation you can have, given the situation that we're in.
1: Yeah, necessary evil because you don't, the first and foremost, the safety is the priority. And we're still at that, you know, we're, we're going to be in that point, like you said, for a while, I think, still. And a little unfortunate in the sense that you lose some games theoretically, or at least you're playing the same teams over and over. In the sense of every scout I've talked to, different coaches and organizations, you know, through some of the freelance work I've been doing the last few months, like they, they keep bringing up, lamenting how last year it took away you know, developmental possible, you know, uh, means for a lot of prospects. I mean, not just the Marlins, but everybody. So now you get a little bit fewer looks. I mean, you're going to see them against kind of the same, potentially some of the same pitchers or some of the same hitters. So you lose a little bit of that. And then some days where you're going to go intra squad, you lose the chance to see against that competition. So that's the unfortunate part, but unfortunately, but safety has to come first for now for everybody, obviously, But again, it's you're on one side. I guess you could see it one way or the other. You could see a glass half full that way. I mean, glass half empty that way, or you could see a glass half full in the sense of you are going to at least get pretty close to a semblance of a spring training that a full spring training, hopefully, that we didn't have last year. And for those guys that are still developing, it's going to be huge because in a lot of cases, a lot of these prospects, you know, they haven't seen them against other teams in a long time. It's been like a year since they were close that they've really faced other competition in a game setting. And there's no substitute for that. As much as you want to simulate and, you know, throw bullpens and, 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 and face live hitters. It's not the same as actual game situations, even if they are exhibition.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, as you pointed out, once everything restarted last year, summer camp was, you were in your own stadium and that was it with the exception of, one or two warm-up games before the season. But at that point, you already knew who your roster was. It wasn't getting the chance to see the younger guys in live action. And those younger guys, the lucky ones, who were able to be part of the player pool, got to be at the alternate training site. But, again, you had a lot of your up-and-coming guys, your guys who would normally be fighting between A-ball and potentially some of the guys, even some of the guys who were just squeaking the double-A mark, who haven't played live games since the end of 2019. So now, especially for a team like the Marlins, who are still in that rebuilding phase and still have a lot of development to do with their, a lot of their top prospects. This gives them that, that sense or that opportunity that they, that was taken away at the end of, or as things restarted, restarted up last season.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and and looking at the uh, non-roster invitees that are going to be invited to camp, you know, some of those guys, I mean, the one that jumps off the page obviously is JJ Bleday who, Apparently, you know, like every, all the feedback you heard from the organization was that he was great at the alternate site last year, you know, made strides, but you say that and, and, and it's, you know, you could take that, but at the same time, he still hasn't able to face hitters since Jupiter the year before. And so that's that gap right there. It's like, you want that development to continue to come against other, other pitchers and, and in the field and and so on and so forth. And that's what you want to see him be able to take the next step in the spring. And like JJ, there's plenty others that we're going to get that chance to even on the pitching side, you know, Max Meyer hasn't been able to do anything in that regard yet. Now we're going to see that. Hopefully Zach McCambly, same thing. Kyle Nicholas, I got the guys who were drafted last year that really haven't been able to do that against the other teams yet. Now you're going to get better looks at them and it's going to be huge to, to continue their respective, you know, progressions and, and development. I mean, these are a lot of these are guys in, in a lot of cases like Max is one of them that has come in and he's very highly rated. We talked about it on Baseball America the other day. He's, he's in the top three. I mean, this is a guy that they're counting on to be potentially a piece in their rotation down the road. And a few others could either be that or could be major bullpen pieces, too. So, again, very crucial spring if we can get these games in and start and, and, and to, to shake off that rust for a lot of players and and, and continue their development on the proper track.
0: Yeah, I mean, you talked about again with NRI's. The Marlins have announced twenty-five guys total, uh, eighteen that were announced uh, late or early Monday afternoon, seven that were announced back, way back at the beginning of January. And you hit on a bunch of the big names uh, between Max Meyer, JJ uh, uh You have a couple other names that again with that large that loaded outfielder group. You got Peyton Burdick and Cam Meisner yeah. and Connor Scott coming back. Yeah. Joe Dunan, who, who's an infielder who actually had a really strong. Really strong run in winter ball. They're giving him another look. Uh, you have Will Banfield, who let's who face it, it, really, really yeah. yeah. Who do, Joe Dugan, I definitely. Needed. You got Will Banfield, who's getting his first big league spring training invite. He's their top catching prospect, and the Marlins need to get a pretty good evaluation on him, considering where their catching depth and their catching situation is, to know mm-hmm. if he's going to be their guy, one of their guys long term. And then you have some other guys. I mean, Eddie Alvarez is coming back, getting another chance. Uh, we talked about him back this guy back about a month ago when they made the first wave. Sandy Leone, one of the veterans yep. that they brought in who could maybe push for a catcher spot, yeah. could push. And then, yeah, I mean, that uh, Nassim Nunez, they're I was gonna 20, bring
1: up you know, Nassim, yeah, another guy very still very young in his career. That again, some of the stuff I was talking about before needs to have that experience against uh, against other teams to continue his development. I mean, we are barely seen him yet.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, so we have a lot of young guys that will be exciting to watch how long they'll actually remain as part of big league camp. Once it starts up, is to be determined as always, but it at least gives us, again, it gives us some, a sign of the old time, something that we've been longing for since March of, since March of 2020, which, wow, it's, it's hard to believe that it's only been a year since all of this happened.
1: Yeah, I was uh, talking to a coach re- recently that was like thinks it's been three years. Like he can't even remember how what the games looked like before. It feels you know, that way, <laughs> and I don't blame him. I know if we had an, at least we had a season and and, and all of that. But at, but this, even we've been talking about it. Like, like you know, even if, like if hopefully, if if nothing changes in the next few days or weeks, if we're out there and at least we're like on a backfield again and seeing some work being done, it's like that's what we're used to. And it feels like it's been like two, three years since we were able to go out there and really, you know, experience that. So it's going to be good, hopefully, if, if it can be conducted safely, you know, like once again.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. We're going to take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about expectations with this team and what we should be expect, what we should anticipate and what should be realistic for the Marlins as 2020 gets a little bit closer. So we'll be right back. All right. Thanks for staying with us, everyone. Uh, Andre, this is a question we've talked about this many times over the last month or so, especially as we see the NLEs continuing to just beef up. I mean, the lays move, Marcelo is back with the Braves, and we had a little bit of the gasp moment when it looked like Bauer, might, Trevor Bauer might actually go to the Mets. He went to the Dodgers, so the Marlins can have a tiny bit of a sigh of relief on that one. But still, as we get closer to spring training and then ultimately the 2021 season, Marlins coming off their playoff push, they're coming off the run. They're they have op, a lot of internal optimism, but in the same vein, with how stacked the NL East is next, it's looking at least at the very least on paper going into mm-hmm. the season. What would be realistic targets that you would try <laughs> to think about for the Marlins this season? Obviously, all the players and the man and management and Don Maggie are going to say we made the playoffs. Our goal is going to make be the playoffs, but. There's a lot that's going to have to go into it for the Marlins to be contenders for making the playoffs this year.
1: Now you want you want a win total, you want a uh, what do you, what do you, what do you, which I what what prediction are you asking for here or what assessment are you asking for over here because I can give you a win total, I can give you kind of a range of where I think they'll yeah. end up. Just more in general what do you want to
0: see from the Marlins I mean record aside, what do you want progress wise from this team? Cuz I no. mean let's face it, they're probably going to hover around that seventy that somewhere in the seventies range is where yeah. I'm thinking on paper. Yeah. But just in general, what would you want to see to say at the end of the year the Marlins made progress?
1: Offense, and that to me, bottom line. Because I know a lot of these guys can pitch, and I think are gonna pitch. But you look at the horses that they've ha- that they have in this division now more than ever. Mm-hmm. You need to have a semblance of a of a lineup that can consistently compete. And not not just compete, like be scrappy and get a win here. No, 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 no. Like legitimately be able to compete or at least show signs that they're on their way to that this season. And that's going to be hard. That's a hard ask because you look at the rotations that Atlanta has, that the Mets have put together. And I know you're saying about Bauer, but they're going to face him when they play LA as well, even out of the division. So, I mean, the national league overall is stacked with pitchers. Look at what the Padres did with their rotation, you know, but primarily within the East, Washington still has their veterans, of, of course. Philly, not to be taken lightly as well as far as their arms. So, I mean, it's can this team play the style they did last season, but even hit more, really, because, you know, we've talked about guys like Corey Dickerson that didn't hit as well as they could have. Can he bounce back and be better? Can Marte be clutch again throughout the, through an extended season for them? you know, the, can Alfaro's back come along because, you know, obviously we've seen the strikeout issues there, but they're still hopeful that, that he can turn this around. And then we've seen, you know, in the middle infield, there's, you know, Miggy's going to be the leader obviously, but you know, there's still guys developing jazz is still developing, you know, uh, Eson missed pretty much the whole season. First base, you're hoping Lewin Diaz eventually takes over, but Aggie's there with the power, but collectively, can this team hit night in and night out or, or and avoid because they're facing, they're going to be facing big guns left and right throughout the season. And it's going to be longer now, but the aggressive style and smart way that they played last year, when it was, when it came to stealing bases, extending hits, being aggressive, all of that helped a lot. So I think that is a must. They got to take that, bring it back this season. And then hopefully it's enhanced with a couple of more bats guys further along, that sort of thing. But the biggest strides – I think we've seen a lot of strides in terms of the pitching, and some of those expectations, I am a believer, are going to pay off. But from the offensive standpoint, if you see something tangible where they took a lot of strides, even if it's a 75-win season, that to me is the most valuable because then you can build off of that and you're thinking to yourself, all right, now we have a little more of a balanced franchise in terms of the pitching, hitting, that sort of thing, and we're progressing toward being a real contender, which to me that was always – kind of where that window you hoped would open like by by 2022 maybe or even 23 and then you could start to hang with the big dogs because again not to not to beat it to death but we've seen how good atlanta is and the moves that the mets have made and and even you know now washington and philly bringing jt back for for an extended amount of time i mean they're not no one's going anywhere in this division for a while
0: no definitely and one guy who you Didn't mention, I'm not sure if it's just a little, but you've got Garrett Cooper still in this group too. With
1: Garrett Cooper, of course, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, the main thing with him would be just staying on the field. Obviously, last year it was COVID-related, but the two years prior it was the wrist injuries and the hamstring stuff in 2019. But if he's able to get a full 162 or let's just say a 135 to 140, depending on what they do with how they play him with the uncertainty of a DH and knowing he's going to have to rotate with Aguilar, if he can get that consistent – that consistent playing time in him and produce the way that he did when he was on the field, the last two seasons,
1: that's going to give
0: that significant pop that they need.
1: Yeah. And, and, and look, not that long ago, we were hearing Mattingly say that that Coop and Harold Ramirez were the two guys that, that sparked the engine and got everything going remember a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And he's been picking up off of that. When he's been on the field, he's been clutch. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. He did it in the playoffs. You know, so yeah, Garrett Cooper most definitely valuable to me. The interesting part is going to be if if he doesn't play as much outfield, how do they balance that whole thing at first base to get him enough at bats, especially if there's no DH because at least with DH you alleviate that a little bit. To be perfect for that, you know, you bring his batting, you don't lose it in the lineup every day, and in a way you protect him in case of any injury issues and, and things like that. But if that's not there, then you know how do you how do you pull all of this off without hindering, let's say, the the chances or limiting the chances for a guy like Lewin that's on the way up.
0: Yeah, and Lewin and just the prospects in general, that's – the Marlins seem like they're banking on seeing some growth from those guys when they get their opportunity, since outside of, well, really they didn't add anything from the position player side this year. So knowing that they're going to be banking on whether it's a Lewin Diaz or a Monte Harrison or a Jesus Sanchez or potentially later on down the road in 2021, day. It's, yeah. they're, it's looking like they're hoping that at least one of them gets to their potential by the end of 20, by the end of the season and makes, and justifies the fact that they're going all in on the young guys, which at the end of the day has been the ultimate, has been one of the main goals of
1: this, of this group, since the ownership group took over. And, and that's what I mean. If on the offense and that's why I go back to the offense. If, if the offensive side doesn't make strides, we're going to look back at this and say, Hey, well, didn't really add much to it. You kind of trusted that the core you had was good enough the prospect, you wanted to see the prospects along the way, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but if it, but if they do, then obviously you feel better about kind of, you know, what the decisions that were made and you think to yourself, okay, now let's just build on that and the means that they have in one year's time. But again, very crucial because still a lot of what ifs at a lot of positions there amongst the, amongst the, the hitters.
0: Yeah. And we're going to hopefully start getting some of those answers in just over a week and until then, uh, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode. But before we end it, I just want to give a quick congratulations to one-time Marlins legend John Lynch for making <laughs> the Pro Football Hall of Fame. First guy in Marlins organization to throw a, to throw a pitch in any sort of professional baseball setting. Congratulations, man! <laughs> that
1: should be that has to come up in Canton ne- next summer. Like somehow somebody's got to put that, or or, or maybe during the in the in the lead up to Canton. Like, like somebody's got to mention that i mean that that that's like an urban legend that's almost like people are probably like really i mean when you tweeted it i i i had to look it up because i i knew of the story but then I, i'd forgotten about it and i'm like that's right mm-hmm. you know now everybody there's all generation that only knows him as the 49ers gm which is sad enough you know nobody remembers yeah. his bucks days when he was a monster back there mm-hmm. you know clobbering receivers over the middle and running backs but but anyway, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> thank anyway. you,
1: Miggy. For thank you. Tell your story about Miggy, by the way, on that Super Bowl media yeah, yeah, day.
0: Yeah. So Super Bowl Fifty Four, when Marlins Park hosted the opening night cer- ceremonies, where media got basically full access to the teams. Uh, Miguel Rojas actually played the role of reporter for the day. Went around to a bunch of the Chiefs guys. He even asked Andy Reid where he got his floral shirt. Which was prob- which made me laugh a lot harder than I thought I would, and then toward the end of the 49ers, 49ers time, a few of us got in, got a scrum interview with John Lynch, just asking basic things about just being there. I got some stuff about Nick Bosa for a profile I was doing, and right as the scrum ends, I hear Miguel Rojas ask something to the extent of, "Well, since you are a Mar- since you were part of the Marlins organization and you're in Marlins Park right now, what's it like to be back home?" and John Lynch had a good laugh he answered the question gave a pretty decent response and it just it made the two worlds that were colliding just it made the it made the perfect ending to to the two worlds that were colliding on that night and it just and it also made me realize that Miguel Rojas may be coming after my job when he once he retires. He seems oh, yeah. to have the media job down pat.
1: <laughs> Maybe he's going to be on a panel somewhere. Well, he already is. He, right now, I think the, the the Serie Caribe. He's been on. Uh, he's been a part of this, a broadcast team with our buddy Danny and, mm-hmm. and and a few other guys down there. So he's he's, he's yeah. it's starting. It's starting yeah. with him. He's not mm-hmm. done playing yet. Probably he's, he hopes he's not done playing for a little bit. But he's already he's taking some steps already, so yeah, he'll he'll be on on some baseball panels. You'll see him up there, just like Frank Thomas and A. Rod. I mean, we'll see where he where he ends up, but he'll land somewhere. He'll be doing some. He'll be covering some baseball here and there.
0: Yeah, but until then, while well, i solve my job before Miggy ends up taking it from me. Uh, that's we're <laughs> gonna wrap up this episode of Fish Bites next week. Our episode that our final episode before spring training starts is gonna be a special one. Andre, myself, and a few others we're gonna be doing a roundtable to. Just take a bigger picture look at spring training, our expectations, what we're excited about as we get back up to Jupiter and just overall what we think the 2021 season is going to look like. So you're not going to want to miss that. But until then, thanks so much, everyone.